Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Cobras and Fire and Brennan's from Flip with Jason Bakken here, <laughs> and we are cranking it up. You're listening to the Cobras and Fire podcast, part of the Decibel Geek Podcast Network, featuring special guest. From Flip, lead singer, Bryn Arns. Just got one thing to ask you. Are you still with us? 100,000 custom watts of power. Wanna make it get louder? Welcome to the program from Flip, uh, Bryn Arns. He's actually pointing at a picture of me wearing a Flip shirt. That's back you, off. Yeah. Cool. You know, uh, the, we're, we're looking at that. You know, one of the things that, that I always liked about Flip was that you guys made a lot of things fun and interactive, not just with the music, but with the shows and a lot of the stuff you did, a lot of, and a lot of different things, you know, from the cereal, dropping on, you know, uh, X-Fest, uh, playing outside the... Uh, Taste of Chicago. Uh, we did it? it there as well. Um, a number of places. But the back of that shirt has tour dates. Yeah. And, and like, you know, there's some, you know, normal things that you would see, and then there's, like, one, it'll say the <laughs> date, and it'll say the city, and then, like, Steve's Garage or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, I thought that was amazing. I was like, I'm going to steal that someday, and then I never did, but... Uh, uh, that was something that came up really early, you know, when the band was signed at first to uh, 
Walt Disney, there was talk about cartoons and TV shows, and it was very, dare I say, alt monkeys almost hmm. was what they really wanted to do because they loved the video and the whole imagery of that whole thing. And there was like cartoons and things being discussed. So at that time, we happened to be in a meeting with somebody at the beautiful plush Walt Disney offices and, you know, talking about ways to 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 break down the wall between the audience and the band kind of and that's when the idea of doing the garage shows came up it's like let's just tour people's garages yeah <laughs> <laughs> and when you're dealing with a company like Walt Disney the support on doing something like that if they're into the idea it, it isn't out of the question so all of a sudden those possibilities become a reality yeah. Pretty fun. Explain that what you mean. Like, like uh, this wasn't the Hollywood Records you're talking about. You're talking about Walt Disney. Like the uh, same thing. Yeah, I am talking Hollywood okay. Records. Hollywood Records was part of Walt Disney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, okay. So all the but money Walt there. Disney was very interested in the group more. You know, equal as as part and parcel as the record label being a part of that parent company. Now with the serial thing. Um, you obviously need some. There's some logistical stuff, much less uh, <laughs> other things to kind of figure out. With uh, when you're putting together your band budget, how do yeah. you determine how much to spend on cereal to dump on a crowd? Depend. Well, how much will you give me? <laughs> Starts out with how much can you get for nothing? Yeah, yeah. And and if we do this, is there any way it could benefit somebody else? Yeah. And if so, would they potentially be interested in buying <laughs> a ton of cereal? Uh, uh, how much cereal? Oh, why cereal? One ton. One ton? One ton. And then from a helicopter, yes? Cereal has always been a part of my gig, even back as far as if you've ever heard a band I had in the Twin Cities called Obsession. A little before 80s. my time, but I know what you're talking in about. In the 80s, I used to, people used to call me Kaboom. Remember the cereal yeah. Kaboom? I used to bombard people. I used to throw it at them full pitcher style full force handfuls at people in the front like try to put marks on their face with it and eat it and stuff blackie lawless throw out meat with wasp and you're doing I'm cereal, doing cereal yeah. but this is probably even before blackie lawless oh yeah and uh and i just thought the kaboom cereal was funny really thought it was funny and if if anybody's out there ever eating it it literally turns your the return you get yeah. from the Kaboom cereal <laughs> is like a, a fluorescent evergreen color, a uh. green, blue, very deep and frightening color. Uh, but anyway, I digress and talk too much about Kaboom cereal. <laughs> so so I will add more to this. Uh, the, the, the rock concert uh, that my friend Night Bob mixed, um, Cal Jam 1, mm -hmm. is my Woodstock uh, that program aired on live on television the weekend of my birthday. I was probably 13 years old, uh, 12, 13. Everything grabbed me and shook me to the core and still does to this day. A band called Black Oak, Arkansas on Cal Jam 1 dropped sun visors from a helicopter, paper sun visors from a helicopter with a radio station's logo on it. 
Now, I'm 13 years old, 12 years old, and just getting into rock and roll. And that stuck in my brain on how that worked and what a brilliant and great idea that was and how everybody will remember them more than any other band on Cal Jam yeah. because they dropped the sun visors. And literally in 1996, 97, we, you know, you're backstage and you get a lot of people coming up to you, hey, man, if you ever need a... You know, a, a stringer of walleyes, let me know. Hey, if you ever need a helicopter, my buddy's got one, let me know. <laughs> so what? Ha so you mix those three things in a pot. I've yeah. been doing the cereal forever. Yeah. I loved Black Oak Arkansas Drop Things from a Helicopter. A guy once asking me, hey, I got a helicopter. If you ever want to do anything, you just let me know. And that's what happened. That's uh, how it happened. How many of the Edge Fest did you guys do? I know I, it morphed into X Fest like for eight, last. Yeah, I want to say. It was almost every year, right? Yeah. And we like, by the end, we pretty much headlined it. And the one year, we just like, okay, maybe not. Um, that was the end of it. Yeah. You know, that it, was very ill attended. I, I'm sure I'm being full of crap. I'm sure I had nothing to do with us, but. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I, I went to a couple of them. I definitely, there was one where I, you guys had, uh, I don't know, like uh, Backstreet Boys or somebody, some yep. fake come out and you guys kicked them off the stage or something. But uh. Yeah, we had a Backstage Boys lookalike <laughs> uh, band, contest winner band come on. And had the DJ Weasel say that we got stuck in traffic and couldn't make it on yeah. time, and that's. But we knew that there was some friend of ours, friends of ours there, that would fill in for us. And while they were <laughs> up there singing, literally, I want to say it was twenty foot tall. I wish I still had it. Flip cereal box was erected. Oh, that's we right. came running out of the middle of it with uh, sugar bottles to crack over their heads and blood capsules and the whole bit, you know? Yeah, it was cool. Kilo railed on them. <laughs> Kilo was the king of the whole thing. I think he... Kilo, Kilo couldn't wait to beat the crap out of the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> um, well, we should get back to that. Uh, real quick, though, Teenage Rampage was a really cool thing you guys did, too, yeah. where you, you, you basically had a contest to... To, was it headline or open for flip? I can't remember, but that was it was like both. a battle of the bands, right? In a high school both. band. The main it was both. The main contest was the winner would headline that the runner up would open mm -hmm. the show. And then we'd get the best of the groups that of the our friends and the bands in town or otherwise that we knew to come play with us. Yeah, and we uh, we sold out first half a few times, sold out uh what was Prince's the Club. Quest is what the it was called by that point. Yeah, it was yeah. Glam Slam prior. Glam Slam, yeah. Where I played with Rattlin' Bones when I lived in New York City when we were on tour and we came through Minneapolis and played Glam Slam. I had heard that you'd lived in New York City and were doing some writing before Flip. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was, um, God, there's a Kiss tribute CD that there is a Love Gun cover that is attributed to Flip, but it's definitely not you singing. Correct. Well, fill me in. Ah!
fill me in. Well, fill me in. He knows he needs no more introduction than that. Yeah. It, he's looking at my squeaky chair and going, mm. damn it, I got to get a new chair. That's a kiss chair. That's why it's squeaky. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's they, Chris's. They, it's complaining. They, they, no, they <laughs> wish it was singing a song so they could be getting royalties. Sit on it. I want a rock and roll all night. Oh, you owe us three cents. Yeah. Uh, what was the question? Uh, the Love Gun. Who's on that? If it, oh, Stephen Chereau and I. Stephen Chereau, band Kick, called Kick, Kick Tracy. Tracy. Yeah, okay. That's Stephen Chereau. So when I was living in New York City, I was hired by RCA Records to write songs for Stephen Chereau. He was in a band at that time called Kick Tracy that the band, that the label was at that point, I believe, prepared to no longer support. But they were prepared to support further Stephen Chereau. So they hired me to write and produce music for him. Uh, one of the things, so we did it back here in Minneapolis since he was from here and I was from here. I'm like, God, if we could do it in Minneapolis, I could hang out with my folks and my brothers and stuff, and so could you. So that's what we did. And Love Gun was one of the things we did. Um, also that day, we did a thing called My Generation by The Who, I was thinking that's of. That came out of that same time? That came out from that same time. And Stephen uh, ended up not singing on My Generation, and I brought everything back to New York with me. And there's more to the My Generation story regarding the video, but... Uh, just the audio portion of it as it regards to Love Gun. Ended up bringing it back with me, and RCA ended up uh, passing on Steven, uh, who I still work with to this day. Yeah. We still write and play music together. Uh, and 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 asked if I would sign on. I think I'm going to be seeing Steven in Nashville this summer. He, I think he's going to be at Rockin' Pod 3. Oh, cool. Um so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll say hi with with uh, Drew Fortier. I bet. Oh, who knows? Uh, I don't know who that is. Drew Fortier. He's uh, a representative of EMP Label Group with Dave oh. Ellison. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and he's probably uh, taking me off his publicist list now because um, I just said I didn't know who he was. Uh- <laughs> uh, no, he's a, Drew's great guy. That would never. No, um, he would never operate under those circumstances. It's weird that I know this name, Stephen Chereau, from totally Kick Tracy. All of this. Yeah, see, I do. A lot, a lot I of influence. It all. Yes. It's all coming back to me now. Sorry, I'm looking around the room and um, looking at the memorabilia. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit of a. It can be a like sensory it. overload, huh? No, it's not overload. Yeah. I'm a sucker for it, so okay. I really enjoy it. You feel kind of rude, like you, you know, you're not. Paying attention to what's going on in the room, but I can't help but look. I love silly rock. We, stuff. we can edit everything you, down if it's you've got too bad. guitar pedals in here. See, <laughs> I can't even help but wonder what kind these are. Like, what is this? That one's my favorite. That's my favorite one. There. Oh, okay. I didn't know if it was vintage, and I can't help but wonder: is that a chorus? It's a chorus. It's the one. Yeah, it's Jeez. beat the hell. Go ahead, you're at plural all that stuff down. Don't worry about it. I love choruses. Are my favorite. Look at that pedal. fucker. Yeah. Want to sell it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's not uh, very functional, but oh, really? The, well, I, mean, I probably still does something, but yeah, I don't know. 
Want to sell it? <laughs> Maybe. Let me know. All right. That's what I do, too. I buy and sell gear. I love gear. Guitars, yeah. amps. Yeah, well, let's talk pedals. about Brinco, then. Let's talk about Brinco. What a cool idea. Now, th- correct you. me if I got it wrong. Basically, these are those old stand-up cabinet radios, and you just kind of like uh, recondition the outside and then make it like a, a single speaker, typically like a, like a 12-inch, uh, basically a guitar cabinet. 12 inch 10 inch whatever whatever the order is in for yeah and i also uh reinforce it of course i make it light up and i shock or vibrate proof it meaning i i blast some low frequency bass guitar stuff through the cabinet make sure none of those screws are rattling go in and uh i go in and i silicone where all the screws oh, go gotcha. in and everything and make sure everything is secure and, and and stays up. And then doing all this while maintaining, a, if it's what is called the Brinco uh, showroom model, making sure that it's not scratched at all. You know, making sure that, that the cabinet itself is beautiful. And, and some pretty notable uh, names ha- have, have these in their possession, yeah. like uh, yeah, uh, Joe cool. Perry, uh, uh, Jack Douglas, of course, uh, the renowned Aerosmith producer. My personal favorite, I, I, if, tell me if I'm wrong, Johnny huh? Depp has one, right? Correct. All right, so that that's a big one for me because now, especially now that you and I have met and we're in this room, now I'm only one degree of separation from Johnny Depp, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's all I'm going to tell people. Joe Walsh has one. Uh, Taylor Swift has one. Taylor uh, Swift, huh? Well, that sucks. Um, <laughs> no, she's the real deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she's the real deal. She's To me, she's like the, uh, uh, help me out with the name again, brain fart. When you wish upon... Oh, no, 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 I'm off. Gene Simmons? <laughs> Edit this. <laughs> Somewhere over the rainbow oh. skies are... Judy Garland. Okay. She's the Judy Garland of our time. Okay, I'll give her that. That's how I see her. I'm amazed that she has not destroyed her career by accepting schlock movie roles. Imagine the amount amount of work it must be for Taylor Swift on a daily basis to turn down movie roles. Yeah, you're probably right. That in and of itself is more work than your mere mortal person could handle. I had heard something that you were working on a project locally with. Ah, uh, oh shit! See, I'm gonna have to edit myself out. Who's the yeah, edit. Take Who's two. the guy from? Uh, well, he was an except. Except for a, oh, Dave Reese. Dave Reese. Yes. Did, was it? Is it true that you and him were starting something? Because right after I heard yeah. that, I starting the, something. The odd Dave Reese came up. and I and I just recently found a cassette of it. Started playing together in 1977. Mm. And he was Dare Force, right? This was way before that, of right, course. Right, but would Dare Force and Obsession he was in at the Obsession same time? before he was in before he was in Dare Force. Okay. But you are correct. Yes, Obsession was not a formed gigging unit at that point. Dare Force was. Dare Force saw Obsession ask Dave to join them. No, I, I'm only familiar with one Obsession song in that. Uh, if um, the good die yeah. young, will live forever. That's a great title.
about that title yeah we were playing at a club called the corner pocket in brainerd and i remember it well and a guy while we were playing died of a heart attack and i went down afterwards and i was walking through the bar and a guy literally said to me the good die young will live forever and i wrote the song the next day right on you know, uh, I, I just on the title thing, uh, I, I was talking to Ron Keel. His band's got a new record out. Yeah. Um, and there's a line in there that I cannot believe hasn't been used before. I, you know, I, I said it to him, uh, and it was, um, let the good, let the bad times rock. Yeah, that's you good. know, and it's let a song about you know, it's like rock. how is somebody not fucking said, especially like, <laughs> like you Minnesota boys with your kind of passive aggressive snark, you know, yeah, like yeah. you you're you're known for it, Westerberg, uh, even uh, Dave Perner, you know. Um, there's a nice little group of guys to throw you in with. Uh, you all had a kind of little midwestern snark, <laughs> the snarks. Uh, I, I like it. it, it you, you, a lot of the bands from here, they all kind of go that route, you know. But I, uh, yeah, there's definitely. A heavy tongue in cheek, which is, you know, it's far more of an East Coast sort of way of going about your music yeah. than I would say West Coast. Okay. It's far more playing in the moment as opposed to trying to create a moment. Mm. Wow. That's pretty deep there. It's true, though. Yeah. You know, I mean, Flip created moments, but th- those moments were created in the moment. Wouldn't it be fun if? Yeah. You know? So back to Dave Reese. Nothing recent though. Was no there? No pun intended. Recent. Yeah. <laughs> That's really his new album title. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> recent. Uh, yeah. So no, it was right around. I basically I heard about the Odd Fathers about two months after uh, the guy who runs Cooler Sound told me that uh, you were working with uh, David Reese. Yeah, yeah. We got back together and started jamming. I ended up writing a couple songs on one of his solo albums. I couldn't tell you. Okay. So it was more for something like that. It wasn't like you guys were starting And then a he ended up going back to Germany. But that was the beginning of my uh, re- post-recuperation period. Uh, then getting back into it with the Odd Fathers with Dave Reeves was my first tiptoe, touch my toe in the water back into the, to the thing. And then he ended up going back to Germany to do a bunch of solo records. Now, the one of the things that uh, got Jack Douglas on board to work with the Odd Fathers is, it, you can tell the story better than I can. Where you put a cassette into a basically an old cassette player or something like that, and and FedExed it to Jack Douglas for him to listen to or something like that. Correct. We sent I sent out a number of them. Uh, 
Now, but to preface the Jack portion of this story, I had worked with Jack Jack prior to this. Okay. Yeah. That's where I was going to go next. But uh... Okay. But he was on the list to send it to, so I send it to, I hope I can get this all correct. Eddie Kramer, Jack Douglas, what's the, uh, Ted Templeman, Bob Ezrin, every one of them. And I said, I will bet you in this day and age, now I produce records of managed bands and produce records. And I know when I get demos from bands that are old, what I'll call over-realized, meaning, and I do this when I make demos, you make the demo like you want it to be the record, but you don't really have the facilitation to really do that properly. So you end up handing in this demo that sounds like a completed idea, but sonically in every other way, it's just not there. Yeah. And for a producer, that's very uninspiring. You really can't get into it. Whereas if it's really gunky sounding, where you can kind of put your imagination into it and go, oh, I could hear it doing this, oh, I could hear it doing that, if they just pump that up, then you can get something out of it. So out of that thought came, I wonder what would happen if I recorded a rehearsal on an, on an old school desktop cassette player and sent it to producers with batteries ready to go, queued up, just hit play <laughs> with a photo and a note that says, every one of them got back to me and said, yes, they want to work with the band. Really? Every one of them. And we ended up working with Jack again, and the rest of the guys in the Odd Fathers loved working with Jack so much that we ended up doing uh, two EPs with them. I, uh, I have one of them here. Double Live 45. I don't believe Jack did Double Live. Okay. That was pre. Yeah, this was that before. predates Jack. The work oh. we did with Jack. I love this concept though. It's like a for those uh, to describe it for anybody listening and hasn't seen it. It's basically like a double gatefold album, but it's a 45. And and these were. I suppose if you get back to the 60s and 50s, you might have found stuff like this that had like stories of children's books or something like that. But uh, right, uh, nothing like this. And uh, yeah, and another tear goes dry is one of your best songs. But thank uh, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh-uh. Cook lyric. 
Okay. Yeah. Tom Cook wrote a lot of the Odd Fathers lyrics. He would just say goofy things at rehearsal, and they would become the title of the song. But we'd be jamming, whisper in my ear is the most ironic and funny one, which was an Odd Fathers song I always liked. And while we're jamming it, he stopped playing, and he made motions with his hands like, keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. So I kept playing, and then he literally came up and whispered in my ear, whisper in my ear. And then he went back behind the drum set and started <laughs> playing, and when the chorus came in, or what I was calling the chorus at the time, he said, whisper in my ear, another useless story. Yeah. Whisper in my ear, something I already know. And that became, that's Tom Cook. Right on. Yeah. Um. Uh, with the you, you had mentioned that you worked with Jack Douglas before. Yeah. Well, for the frustrating for me thing for me when I hear stuff like that, because I, I don't think it's discussed as much as I I like to think it should be. Is that I don't think is how hard it is to even be able to do that. Like how hard it is to have a record company turn you down even is is a pretty major accomplishment. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, just to have them say sorry, we're gonna pass. I mean, because most stuff just ends up in a trash or gets sent back to the people who send it. It's a really it's a process that I don't. Th- you know, it definitely isn't covered. You know, anytime you talk to a musician, it, it, it's like how do you make it big? Oh, just go out and do shows. Okay, follow up question: yeah. How do you get out and do shows? <laughs> yeah. Just Discovery, real, yeah. Discovery is is a misused term. Like even when you talk about, like for instance, Gene Simmons discovered Van Halen or yeah. Angel. No, he didn't. Right. Nobody really. Paul Stanley dis- did, according to Paul's book. Yeah, but nobody discovers anybody. Oh, sure. Really, what they come out of the ether that moment, and Paul happened to be there when they came <laughs> out of the ether and discovered the very. It's like they're not fossils. They weren't buried under the ground. You know, it's like. I never quite got that concept of <laughs> discovering a band, and no, it really doesn't happen that way. No, I, Slash was babysat by David Geffen, you know, but th- their image is just being these street kids. His, his dad painted album covers for Lionel Richie. His, you know, his mom yeah, was a fashion designer for all these bands. Well, there's a reason the '80s hair movement was so largely based out of that area in LA was because it was of convenience yeah it was based out of convenience it's you know the uh john eller once gave me a great line where he said uh, there's a reason they there's a reason they don't call it the talent industry mm. obviously <laughs> you know outstanding talents people talented people like brett michaels <laughs> that's a great example certainly must be a joy to work with oh yeah i'm sure he shows up on time sure he does more than he's asked of and i'm sure he does it all on the straight up and up you know because it ain't his talent bringing him in <laughs> what did flip everything and moving to la that's cool that's cool light <laughs> uh no yeah. no just well, I, I got. Mean, I got to know. I I got nothing. We never talked about moving anywhere. At one point, Kilo was living in Chicago. I was living in New York City. Um, my brother Kai was in Minneapolis. He wasn't even really in the band until later. And Greg, the bass player, Cherry Forever, was in New York City as well. Okay. <clears throat> so we used to fly back and forth at the beginning of it. No, I've seen pictures that I, that I thought were like 
before I would have seen you, like 96 or earlier, where you're wearing the face makeup. But but when I first started Soft Flip for the first time, and probably for the first year, you weren't doing it. No, it's so, an on and off okay. thing. I'll do it when I feel like it, and I don't when I don't. You know, you know. I should tell you. Uh, you might enjoy this anyway. I, you know, I moved to the big city in 1996 from uh, Otana, Minnesota. So I'm like Axl Rose walking off the bus with straw in my teeth. You know, yeah. uh, the very first Friday, the one friend I had that lived up here, he said, "Let's go to the Caboose. A band called Flip is playing. It was a free show too." And about ten Rolling Rocks later, I was pretty much hooked. And uh, for, you know, probably until you guys broke up, I saw I don't know sixty seventy percent of the shows you did in the Met. Oh, that's if nice. If you're within hear. a driving area, I you know I, I just fucking loved it. Um, but I, I remember I, I appreciate that my band finally opened for you in two thousand four. I, I don't know if you recall a gig in Oatana on F- Valentine's Day. Uh, in a t- you know, it's actually outside of Oatana. It was our three of our, our the guys in the band were from Oatana. It was like a place called the Jungle. It was like an old roadhouse, um, and uh, boy, I was really excited. And our guitar player, he was half drunk, half adrenaline. Um, he just went off, and and he had no idea that his guitar was ridiculously out of tune. <laughs> and me and the bass player are trying to like, you know, trying to get through the song while also like shut your amp off. You know what I mean? Yeah. And anytime we got his attention, he thought he was like, "Yeah, fuck yeah!" And he just kept going, and it really killed my vibe. I was like, "Oh my god, there goes ruined it. Yeah, there that goes. close to greatness." Yeah, yeah. that was I, it. another that Brad Sinsel's line. Yeah. Another brush with greatness. Like, that close. <laughs> But, uh, but we did end up on your tour bus till about three in the morning. Um, I bet I wasn't in there. You were not, uh, and we were playing uh, with uh, Freaky and, and your brother uh, Chia. Uh, we played like Kiss Hangman and, and drank. Uh, oh, cool! I, and I, Kilo. They smoked dope too. I've never been a, oh, a, yeah. a, a pot guy, but uh, you know, I mean, I'm just saying everybody's getting high. Oh yeah. We walk off the bus and at the, the fucking building is locked. And the parking lot's empty. Like even the people, like my band is gone. It's like what the fuck? And they uh, turned out. Were you stranded for about five minutes? And a friend of ours. And this is before everybody had cell phones. Right. It's like so. Right at the beginning of it. I remember we had a pager with the label at that time. A pager. Your bus broke down. Did it? We went back to get our gear. Yes, I do remember that gig now. Yeah, we went back the next morning to get our gear. And your I bus do was remember straight left there. They had gig. another the bus to get you. My wife came and picked me up, and I had a hotel room that night. I didn't okay. do the bus. I didn't. Still to this day, I prefer a van over a bus. Okay. Yeah, and buses being parked out in the middle of parking lots with nobody around is not an uncommon thing when you're traveling in those things. No, I mean, you got to park and sleep and do all sorts of goofy stuff. You don't get to. You can't drive anywhere with it like you can with a van. Pull up and oh, that's a good point. Remember. You can't just like go pull up to the hotel, go sit down for two hours, and go. You know what? Anybody want to go get a bite to eat or go check out a movie? Yeah. You can't do that in a bus. Hmm. You know what you get to do? Watch it crappy. It's like, yeah, I don't, don't care for them. Uh, Bobby, for them. I like them at the gig as a, as a place to get dressed and to utilize it, it and even as transport from the hotel to the gig and then use it at the gig and yeah. get back i'm okay with all that but so you would not have even been on the bus i know you came back into the bar I was split okay um i just assumed you were in back sleeping but uh um no i'm so. sure i was in my hotel room yeah okay i was so we would get the the, the 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 guys really liked the bus life. I didn't care for it, but I didn't have a problem with them liking it. So yeah. the deal was, I will get the hotel room, 
And then if you guys want to shower in the morning or whatever, and please do, use my room and shower in it. But at night, leave me alone. You know what a lot of young bands are doing now is they're getting Planet Fitness memberships. And like two of the guys gets a twenty dollar membership, and then yeah. you can bring a guest, and so that they just they, they live in vans or you know cars, and then they they just shower every day, and that's a home that they stole that from the homeless. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. The homeless. I know that sounds crazy. I have I have homeless associates and friends, very close friends. And, yes, and uh, that's one of their things. Yeah, if it keeps you clean, yeah. Another band that I saw with for Flip, Flip. Yep. a lot. They were mm-hmm. cool. They we I remember really thinking, oh, that band, that singer, that guy's huge. Fuck yeah, yeah, uh, Billy. Uh, do, you, do you stay in touch with any of those guys anymore? No. Oh god, I know Billy had that uh, that brain tumor, correct, and that ended the band. So. He was just freaking great. Him and I had a ball together back then. I I, I got to really talk got to him a couple well. times. Always very nice to me. He actually um, called me one time after I left. I, I emailed them just to talk to me a little bit about how things work as far as a new band in the Twin Cities. He gave me a couple things in that nature. He gave cool. me like 20 minutes of his time that I, I thought was priceless. So yeah. just very honest you know, sincere. Always loved him. For some reason, him and I clicked from the word gecko. I think everybody liked Billy. Geico. Gecko. Yeah. Geico. Gecko. You ever Geico. see the uh, <laughs> Snoop Dogg, Geico, Planet, Animal Planet thing with Snoop Dogg where he's talking. So. He, oh, you got to watch it where he's talking about the Geico's escaping from the snakes. Go, Gecko, go. You got to get away from those yeah. snakes. You've met Snoop Dogg, haven't you? Oh, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Had, had lunch with him. Yeah, how was that? Was it? Did you smoke it? Or speaking of buses, <laughs> no, we didn't. It was at a Danny's in uh, Arizona. <laughs> Our bus uh, air conditioner stopped working. 
Snoop Dogg got locked in the bathroom of his bus, so he wanted to switch buses because he thought it had a defaulty lock on the bathroom door. So the bus, we were using the same bus company, so they had us hook up at a Denny's to switch buses. Snoop would rather have no air conditioning. Yeah. That's wow. what happened. So we ended up having lunch with him, and he he just lo- he loved. You guys got all the cool stuff. What is this cereal? You guys got got to bring this home for the kids. <laughs> Where's the merch? Show me your merch. You guys are the coolest. You know, it was really fun. That's and a spot was, on Snoop Dogg impression, by the way. Yeah, but I'm the worst. <laughs> I'm the worst. Jizzle McJizzle, and uh, yeah. He's, so they had to switch, swap out all the gear, and him and Kilo and I just went into Denny's and had a Grand <laughs> Slam or whatever they're called. And- Bus is haunted. I can't take in this one. but uh, That's awesome. Uh, back to the first Flip record. Now, was there was some recordings out. Was was the Flip Live EP between, or was that before the, the debut record? After the debut record. Okay. Live in a cereal box. Yes. And... and- <laughs> <laughs> I never got that. That one sold pretty quick. I, I have a uh, a rip of it from my buddy, but uh, uh, what was it? Was there was actual cereal in it? Was my understanding? Yeah, you know, was, you know the idea was originally was remember the cool cutout records you'd get yeah. on the back of a cereal box. Well, there's no plants that made those anymore. The yeah. flop sl- uh, floppy disk thing, so we couldn't do that. So instead, the CDs were put inside the cereal box. Yeah. But in order to justify it at that point, then you're actually opening the box and stuff. There, there was cereal in them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but what not kind of full. Well, kind? just enough for all the mice to get full in the storage <laughs> area where they were kept. <laughs> uh, what kind of cereal, though? Uh, Flippos. <laughs> what? <laughs> so these are just Cheerios, or uh, the very? It tastes. I know what the box said. What kind it of tastes cereal almost it? exactly like generic Fruit Loops. Oh, okay. Almost right. exactly. I mean, if you close your eyes, you probably could. <laughs> when they're fall, if they're falling from the sky on you, you would mistake them as Fruit Loops. Oh my God. Uh... <laughs> or Fruityos, or whatever. When did Bill O'Coin get into the picture? Uh, 1987. <laughs> Bill so, O'Coin was brought in by my manager, Herb Gart, to look at my band Funhouse and to see if he'd be interested in co-managing the band Funhouse. And, and that was the first time I met Bill Coin. Now, did you did anything come to fruition at that point, uh, or was it? Uh, did you not work with him until Flip? This was after I had done the recordings with Mick Ronson. Ooh, there's a name. Uh, at yeah, we were the first band to record at Paisley Park Studios. I have an outstanding Prince story. Oh, I mean Mick Ronson by all means Prince story. But first, what 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 was the question at hand? Oh, just like you did, Bill Coin. Oh, Bill Coin. So Bill was brought in in like 86, 87, after the Mick Ronson sessions at Paisley Park to help manage the band and help shopping the band, I believe. And so he came in for two days and in our studio warehouse that the lead singer had, the sound gallery Neil Sundad had, uh, I had just become the only guitar player at that point. 
we had a lead guitar player, Jeff Loven, up to then, who was more prone to playing, you know, with his right hand on the fretboard. God bless him if that's what you want to do. This isn't a judgment thing. Or uh, uh, and a lot of Wang Bar stuff. And I didn't do any of that. I was far more prone to Johnny Thunders and Chuck Berry. Okay. And Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols or even Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick or John Lennon. So that being said... Uh, Bill Coin got done with rehearsing with us for two days and kind of helping the lead singer. What he was trying to do is help bring the lead singer out visually. And uh, after those two days, Bill pulled me aside when nobody was looking and said, you should quit this band and front and start your own band. Did you take his advice? I did not. This was. I before. mean, eventually you did, but not... No, but when... I eventually couldn't stop turning down offers and had to quit my band in New York City because they were just coming fast and furious. I was asked to join everybody that you can think of. Um, And so that being said, uh, when I finally did become, I had never even sang backups. I was a rhythm guitar player show guy. So when I eventually did become the lead singer front person uh, for the band, I was, that's when Bill came into my head. Okay. Like, Bill was the one guy from way back when, except for Mick Ronson, said something very similar to me. Um and when that all happened, that struck in my brain. You know, Bill saw and actually mentioned this to me first. And at that time, I'd already been managed by David Krebs, who managed Aerosmith and mm-hmm. ACDC and, you know, Scorpions and all those groups as well. So that's how I met Bill Coin. Did you stay in contact with him or? Yeah. Well, no, I don't, you know, I don't totally remember. I might have run into him here or there, you know, when you're doing the music thing. uh, And that's all you do like I do and have been doing since 1968. I'm thinking I must have run into him somewhere because that community gets pretty small pretty fast. Mm. But. It sure felt like it. I remember calling him and like it being really comfortable right away. Like I had, like it hadn't been that long since I talked okay. to him. And then he comes in at Flip, uh, what for the second record right around that time? So yeah, but then that doesn't totally make sense either because by that <laughs> time I had already had four or five managers, uh, and then came back to Bill. So I think something was up in the beginning. Bill helped out, didn't quite work out. Then I ended up uh, um, with Paul Geary. Uh, anyway, uh, extreme, right? Yeah, let's not go off on that tangent. I'll start trying to remember things. I challenge myself just to see if I can remember stuff. Yeah. And I'm really proud when I can. Yeah. Let's test the old man memory. Yeah. <laughs> with the Fonz? That light. I didn't oh. even notice that light until right yeah. now. That's like really bad... 1970, oh, my God. I mean, that's, you know, engineers built and worked on that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, well, Bill comes in at some point. Yeah. Do you got any good Bill O'Coin stories? Oh, Uh, great Bill O'Coin stories. Uh, we're, We're touring. Freak has just begun getting played on the radio. We're uh, about to begin a 
tour with a band called Evanescence. You remember them? Yep. Kind of a goth thing. And we're in St. Louis opening up for Evanescence. And we're doing the flip pillow fight, if you're familiar yep. with the feathers at all. Uh, we would open, you know, the Alice Cooper thing, basically, totally and completely, actually, and break feather pillows open, and they'd fly all over, and it was a blast. And in doing that, we'd already played enough big shows to know that we needed to have a leaf blower and a vacuum cleaner with us. Okay. So we would have the stage. To clean up. The stage, not the audience and the floor and yeah. everything else, but the stage would be spotless when we want by the time the next band were even close to setting up. Our guys were so good at it. Well, after that show, the crowd loved us so much. We went over so well. And I'm not being sarcastic about that. We did. We knocked them out. Uh, their road manager came into our tour bus and punched our road manager, Sean Walgren's, full-blown, full force in the back of the head, cold-cocked him unannounced. Just Walked up they... right behind him without any warning and cold cocked him. And Bill Coin uh, got on on Sean's defense and took care of everything. At that point, Evanescence manager. Now this is all within about twenty minutes. Now with after the show, now the the booking agent who's now booking us. Also books Evanescence, of course, and that's why we're on the bill. Calls up Bill Coin and and says, you know, that Evanescence wants us off of the tour. Uh, and Bill said, obviously. He goes, I saw it coming. He goes, Flip is the best band out there right now, and they went over great, and your band can handle it. <laughs> and he's, they said, no, it's not that. He said, it's just all the craziness on stage, the throwing the beer around and the feather pillows are really a problem, really a problem. And Bill Coin, I was sitting with him in the back lounge, just him, and, just him and Kilo and I in the back lounge of the bus, and I remember Bill Coin saying to the agent, you told me that Evanescence wanted a rock and roll band to open up for them. This is exactly what you fucking got, you pussy. <laughs> and I went, yes, I love it. And then you asked him what his favorite flip record was, and he's like, I think it's Freak. And that, yeah. <laughs> but there was no, like, panic. Bill didn't panic for a second. He didn't... Uh, he kept us cool, and he backed us all the way. You said you wanted a rock and roll band, right? Yeah. Well, that's what you got. Well, that's just what you're gonna get. But yeah, Evanescence doesn't seem like a band with a. They seem humorless. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think they took themselves a bit too seriously. Yeah. And, well, I get yeah, and we're like you said. I suppose we're doing our Minneapolis, you know, <laughs> tongue in cheek, cock yeah. and rock, yeah, sort exactly. of like yeah. There you Come go. on, you yeah. know, lighten up. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, was he? He was actually at the rooftop uh, performance over. Uh, Kept us from getting arrested. He did. Okay. The police turned out were big Kiss fans and knew knew who he was right away. Okay, that helps. It took care of it. I was intimidated. I was, like, I was like, I think that's Bill Alcoin, but I don't know that it is. And I'm not going to go say anything, you know, because he's yeah. just kind of like, you know, for people uh, listening, it was like, uh, what was the record store? Orfolk? 
Or, yeah. Okay. And yeah. then you guys are on the roof of this thing. Is it yeah. uh, South Minneapolis, uh, 26th and uh, Lindale Lindale-ish, or something like that? Yeah. Um, Moxie right across from the uh, CC Club. Correct. My favorite bar. Yeah, and, there's, and you just be, basically people just sitting on the sidewalk. You can't really see flip that good. Except for when I leaned over yeah. like a knucklehead. Yeah, we walked oh, across Lord, the street and die. Uh, uh, took it. Took the show in from there. But uh, there was one guy that was really early on. He had a excuse me. He had a uh, remote control helicopter with a camera on it, pre-drone era. Oh, yeah. So there's footage. Oh. Yep, and Art Alexakis from Everclear got up and jammed with us. I had I, either, was right I was either early him. or I either missed it coming late or I, I left early, but uh, we were down there for, I don't know, at least a few songs. Uh, it didn't last very long, though, too. I don't. No, probably not. Probably 30 minutes I might tops. just not remember because I do remember the police coming. I'll be guessing at that 30 point, minutes tops. Yeah. That's all you get for something like that. So this is after you signed with Art on uh, his record label then? Or was it you guys just... It's a confusing matter. It's called Artemis Label. Yeah. Artemis Records, I mean, which which has nothing to do with Art Alexakis, other than the first three letters yeah. are the same in the words. Uh, Artemis Records was Columbia Records. Danny Goldberg ran it. Okay. Art Alexakis... Had a record deal, an independent deal of his own, where he could sign acts okay. to Columbia gotcha. through Artemis. Um, so the word art in there makes it a confusing I'm matter. sure that's that probably just my kind of connected So now the I co-wrote myself. and co-produced the album with art, but when it came down to promoting the singles and working the record... It was Danny Goldberg and Bill Coyne and I. Okay. Now, Bill Coyne, if you know who Danny Goldberg is, Bill Coyne was the guy who got him his first gig with Kiss, and, and Danny Goldberg ended up doing all of Led Zeppelin's stuff. Okay. Um, why was, like, uh, what was the record that, I, I got them right here, actually. The covers are very similar. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, what I compare it to. A little bit of the songs, to. was it just to kind of, like. Uh, Isn't that cool? Yeah. Uh, well, why not like a whole new record? Are you familiar with because it, it, it got bought? So "Blow It Out Your Ass" was an indie release. That wasn't that's so Hollywood's done by this point. Correct. Okay. the 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 week after our single was released by Hollywood Records, the president was fired. That's what put that on. Okay. So we right away went in and did an indie record, "Blow It Out Your Ass." That then got picked up by a major. Okay. Then got bought out by a major. So they and given that the distribution was lower on the indie release, the major label then added to it and re-released it with a much larger distribution. And then you like newer songs were added to now that. Almost like- all of those songs were recorded at the Sound Gallery Kilo Studio with the recording studio that Walt Disney had bought me at that point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you own your catalog now? Um, yes. Okay. Because Hollywood Records, there's there's a few artists where like you can't find them on streaming services and stuff like that. I mean, that thing basically just went kaput and like nobody's really dug into the catalog. How were you able to to get yours? Um, I had something in my contract called a leaning leaving man clause. Okay. So if the, and I picked the right two leaving men. Okay. To put in my contract, my A and R guy and the president of the company. Uh, okay. So if either of them were gone, I, w- I could I had the choice to become a free agent. Okay, but but you could take your music with you. Yeah. Okay, and you 
How did Rocksteady end up being yours? Because that's, you know, as KISS fans, we all know that logo. You're using the same thing and everything. It was gifted to me by Billa Coyne. Oh, see, there's a story, right? That's a beautiful story. Um, he, so, and that's what you call your record label? Is that what they When we were doing Blow It Out Your Ass, we were like, okay, this is an indie thing, and the label was giving us an option to call it whatever we wanted. Uh. So... I turned to Bill Coin and I said, I always loved the Rocksteady Productions thing. Yeah. I go, what's going up with that? What's up with that? He goes, he goes, I own it, and there's nothing going on with it. <laughs> he goes, you can have it, Brent. Wow. And I said, what? It's yours. You own it. You can have it. I said, so the first thing I want to do, Bill, is put this out on Rocksteady Records. Awesome. Wow. That's... <laughs> <laughs> is that fun you know there's you know reading you know i've read pretty much every kiss biography whether it was written by the members or anything but there is it's just he's one of those guys in in music the behind the scenes kind of guys it was so brilliant it just had just had a, a finger on like he knew almost like better than anybody else what was going to to connect you know i Irv, Irv azoff is another one of those guys that that from that angle is, is very impressive to me how he can like almost be a puppet master, you know, with some of these egos and, and things of that nature. But Bill was really a, just a, a creative, you know, mastermind when it came to well, this Well, what one thing, you know, there's, and there's a reason I believe that Jack Douglas and Bill Coyne got along so well. And that is they're both really easygoing, super normal people. Yeah. Really easygoing, and one of the things that they both do really well, which is an old fascist thing to do, is to, to put the artist at ease. Oh. Never lose control. Never lose control. Who cares? Next. <laughs> yeah. They don't freak out. Cool. Yeah. They keep everything. Jack Douglas told the story uh, on, a, on a local radio station about working with John Lennon very early in his career, and it was yes. an amazing story. Oh, there's some great ones. Was it the Rat story? Uh, I got. I want to say he was recording Imagine, or or some. God, it was it was shortly after the Beatles, and he like John Lennon actually kind of took a, a liking to him. Oh yeah, um, and he was just like some like grunt in the studio at this point, you know? Correct. Um, but I, I, I'm sorry, I can't remember the details better but than that. But he had done like Cheap Trick and yeah. some things up to that time. Um, yeah. 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 I, I was telling you on the phone when we talked that I was, you know, when people who are passionate about Cheap Trick describe the band, for whatever reason, I, when I hear them, and I, and I love them, you know what I mean? They're yeah. a great band, a lot of good songs. I just don't connect with them on the level that these other, you know, people like you, I think. Oh, yeah. uh, I always thought Flip sounded like these people are describing this. It's like, you know, you're not, you're not like, you, you know, heavy, like early Kiss or anything like that. But you, you got yeah. more of a pop sensibility to, to your overall sound and stuff. Uh, but uh, for some reason, just, I don't know. I mean, Cheap Trick is just one of those bands that, I always felt like, you know, we've talked about it on the show a lot, and I won't get, take too, this too much more of your time on this. So, I just feel like I should like them more than I do. Like they, <laughs> they chuck- That's how I feel about The Clash. <laughs> yeah, I feel I like them just enough, you know, because I don't really care for I the- love the Pistols, but I don't love The Clash, and I love I never The got- Dolls, but I'm like, what am I... And same with the Ramones. It's like, what am I not hearing? Yeah, I'm with you on the, the Ramones and The Clash. See, I'm with you, too. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pistols guy over all those bands. Um, I'm a big Misfits guy as far as punk rock goes. One of the uh, first flip tours was with the Misfits. Well, the, the, we well, did the big place in Detroit with them, that big, really famous place. 
it was cool. They had to escort it escort us underneath it afterwards the show because the audience wanted to beat me up so badly <laughs> i went on stage with white face with black x's for eyes okay and i was like you know we're gonna they're not gonna like us we're gonna seem really wimpy so i went out there and just full-on johnny thunder's insult brutalized the audience oh boy and they just started chucking stuff at us now, did you awesome. ever think uh, that wasn't a good idea? No. Okay. That's nope. That's it was a it. really good idea. Alligator that night after the game. Mm. <laughs> the With Paul Geary. With Paul Geary. Yeah. Paul. Uh, Shank Hall. Is that what it's called? Shank You know, Hall? I'm not sure. Is that. It didn't, what was the... St. Andrew's Hall Okay, in Detroit. Yeah. Why don't we just skip to flip breaking up? You know, I mean, it was really um, understated. Like, you mean, like on the flip, uh, there was a, a flip uh, website was actually ran by a fan, I believe. Um, and it, it, like, even they, they didn't seem like there was really any news was, is it yeah. a typical story where it's just like, not that interesting? It's like, well, you no, know, it's actually quite interesting. Oh, okay. That's it. That's what I, that's but, the, but it, but it requires an understanding of what leads up to it more than it's standalone thing. Right. So now, it's kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back kind of thing or. Yeah, maybe in a way you got to remember first and foremost that. I was playing professionally, getting paid, to play since 1969 up until this point. I had never stopped. Started 
and never stopped. Of course, there was Little League Baseball was in there but and all that. But by the time I reached middle school, the, at that time, seventh grade, I had to stop playing after-school sports because I had band practice every day after school. This is Minneapolis, right? This is North St. Paul. Oh, okay. So you really got to put that into perspective. So I've had eight different record deals, have lived in different cities uh, by way of rock and roll, all over the country for different reasons, making records, working with different people, experiencing new things, whatever you want to call it. Um, now, to the point where you're getting to where it was getting near the end, we had just had a number 38 hit. With, with Freak? A, with a song called, correct, a song called Freak on Columbia-run Artemis Records with Danny Goldberg. They, at that point, had just tested I Still Love Rock and Roll to radio. Great song. As a thank you, as, a, as the next single. They were so excited because it had come back as a number one across the board on every format from modern alternative to adult contemporary to classic rock. They were so excited that the potential of being able to break something at classic rock they've been trying to forever. Why? Because the only other bands on that label were Boston, The Pretenders, and this was just about a year after Warren Zevon had passed away, who was Danny Goldberg's best friend. The odd thing was, was out of all these groups, it was Flip that was getting the push. Now, Tom Scholes at that point hired a lawyer and sued Artemis for unpaid royalties and won. Chrissy Hind did not need to hire a lawyer at that point. Precedent had been set by Mr. one Mr. Tom okay. Scholes. She sued and won. The next day, what happens? The record company shuts down? <laughs> Correct. Okay. What happens to I Still Love Rock and Roll? Yeah, it's dead. Yeah. What happens to this guy that's been doing this since 1969 and has had every rug laid out for him and, then and pulled out from underneath him is simultaneously. And, and you learn to do it without really blink of an eye. So to a point, it's no bigger, it's less of a bigger deal to me than my remembrance of my very first time in the fourth grade playing banjo, ukulele, and guitar in front of the whole school playing, uh, leaving on a jet plane, dead skunk in the middle of the road, and a boy named Sue is far more important to me than the Artemis situation. Yeah. So that's what basically at that point I'm like, I had just had my second kid with my lovely wife Susan, who I've been married to, We've been together for 35 years. Okay. Uh, I'm like, you know what? Break time. I'm not going to screw up this dad thing. Yeah. I'm not going to do it. Simple uh, as that, huh? Yep. I, I had heard uh, you. And and you got to really mix in the fact that this is what now? 2000. The, the, the temperament. I think this is literally Five or six. like Napster era. Yeah. You know, this was right when. The reason Artemis couldn't stay open was because revenues were dropping so fast. Okay. Had that had that hit them five years earlier, they would have survived it and we would have survived it. But revenues are so low at that point. One hit, Even and they're then, done. Huh? And that's why these artists were hitting. Yeah. 
at that time because the 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 trajectory was already falling really fast. Yeah. I mean, and it is what as you see it today in reality, the music industry as we knew it for a long time it supported the artist no really no longer exists right no I, it I, doesn't it's one of the things that we bitch about a lot is that we it's we don't value music like we once did i don't know if it's a complaint but it's yeah it's different mm-hmm. but now you can sell it out of the back of your car again that's yeah. kind of cool there there's upsides it, it doesn't seem yep. it doesn't seem balanced though um not in it's the sense not. of like <laughs> a lot of people can make no money now where before you could just go broke and three people would be millionaires but uh. <laughs> right I mean I lived on record advances for a lot of years yeah that don't happen anymore what about like uh, then what did you do uh, for uh, it, you don't have to get this is a little personal no, so it's okay uh, you don't have to get too, any deeper than you want to but what? how did you uh, float by then after flip uh, you weren't really doing it I didn't anything. float by I got in trouble with stuff and uh, <laughs> that's all the deep row go with yeah, that. Okay. Uh, but um, and, but ended up ended up doing just a lot of work on myself and taking care of a lot of stuff. I mean, I didn't even. There was a point where I didn't know how to get my hair cut because I didn't know who I was. I'd been in a band since 1968. Now I'm just this dad guy at home buying groceries. I don't even know how to. What? Who? Huh? I mean, I know how to do it. Right. But at some point, you're like. This, you know, we're not in Kansas anymore, and I got to figure this out. So I it, ended up doing a lot of that, and then, but I, at that point also, I managed and produced a band I put together called the Fuck Ups. I got them a record deal on Capitol Records, got them major tours. So I was always producing or managing and doing lots of other things okay. outside of performing live. It is weird though, like shifting from that like musician lifestyle because. Even for myself, and I never—I mean, I, I never had national tours, anything like that. Just playing around here and stuff like that, and then all of a sudden, you know, having a wife and a kid, and then you're, you're still this this kind of fucked up guy. Yeah. You know, it's just like you know, I, I I'm I'm probably gonna be drunk, at, you know, <laughs> at an inappropriate moment. Yeah. Uh, I, I I don't filter the things the way Family Guys do. I'm not interested in in almost all these activities and and trying to be a good person. Hey, I'm walking down the steps into the living room like Paul Stanley at the beginning of I Stole Your Love. Why aren't you clapping? Yeah, no shit. Uh, Who's going to open the door for daddy? (laughs) What day is it? it, it, It's humbling, though. I mean, it's just like, it just reminds you, it's like, yeah. Oh, it was the right choice, I'll tell you that. Sure. There's no question about it. That's good. So, yeah. And it never left me. I built a studio in my house while I still had all the gear that... As nice as this? I, <laughs> I still had all the gear that Walt Disney had bought me, and I ended up selling that to buy, which was now the digital era was yeah. coming in. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, man. No, nothing's as nice as this, Jason. <laughs> Come on. Who needs that kind of pressure? Yeah, it's a brand new day. But it's a different situation I've gotta change my face A sick and twisted fascination I'm coming on straight at ya Here is something that I've got to say I still love rock and roll Yeah, it takes me where I wanna go Lost inside the big 
heard a rumor, and I want to very make it very clear. This was, I, th- th- there was no direct correlation. It was just a, a fucking rumor I had heard, and I never got any corroboration. So there was no fallout with you and Freaky or any fight like no, that? No. Uh, okay. No. Um, and Freaky went on to, to, well, he did his own thing right away, didn't he? Uh, Pac, what was that band called? Useless. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> his last name in flip, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he's uh, he was in Hairball. He's just he's now leaving Hairball, uh, just yeah. recently announced. But uh, and then what did uh, your brother basically moved to California? Correct. Um, got into the art thing. He's doing great with that. From everything I can it tell, it was great. I remember an interview where the guy was asking us. You know, sometimes you get well, yeah, a lot of times. You know, what do you play? What do you play? What you know? How'd you come up with the name Flip? But Kai responded, "What do you play?" So, the album cover. <laughs> <laughs> My amp's not even turned on. Oh, man. Uh, he uh, And then uh, what did Kilo end up doing? He ended up joining Everclear. Oh, really? Yeah. How long a, did that last? A year or so, okay. I want to say. They did some, they did a couple releases. Um, yeah. And uh, after Freaky left Flip, before Kilo joined Everclear, Craig Montoya, the bass player for Everclear, joined Flip. So there was a bass player between the end of Flip and and Freaky. Correct, Craig okay. Montoya, the bass player for Everclear. What was, did he have a Flip name? Uh no, not yet. Those were just they were just nicknames that stuck. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I, I I went by Baco. It was a nickname I got in, yeah, in, exactly. in high school, you know. And I was just like, well, I mean, uh, that's what everybody that uh, that I'm friends with calls me. So it's just been. I do remember a couple labels at wondering if I should be Flip then. Yeah, you got all these, and so they. I remember even like, well, let's just see, and call me Flip, and let's just see if it sticks. I got nothing, and it just didn't <laughs> stick. Yeah, you know, that's the only way to do it. It's just like. You start nickname. You start nicknaming somebody or whatever. Say, yeah, it wasn't like um. You know, we often get like, oh, flip. You guys were like marketing guys. It's just like, no, we're just dumb jokers and st- <laughs> stuff that stuck. We used it. So you do the Odd Fathers is the first band uh, yep. you're in after yep. that. Then so that would have been that was a pretty good chunk of time. Yes, it was, and I'm gonna try to measure it by the ages of my children. So. Mm. About five years at least, I was out yeah. from live performing. And what happened with the Odd Fathers? Just uh, you guys gave her hell and just packed her in, or what? Uh, well, why not still that? And- well, the bottom line is, is like I said, the Odd Fathers was really me putting my toe back into the water to okay. see if it felt warm, and it did, and so warm that I decided to do a reunion show with Flip. That sold out First Avenue, so at that point, I'm like, gonna do flip. No, uh, Kai came back for that one. Right? Yeah, okay, and he's been out since then, though. Was it just? I assume it's- Kai can come and go anytime he's okay. available. Now, me and Kai get along great. Yeah, no, no. Sorry to say, there's no. Gallagher brothers or anything. <laughs> you know, one guy smashes watermelons, yeah. the other one smashes muskmelons. No, I'm only kidding. That's a different Gallagher. Yeah. Um, uh, Kai, you know, just directed the new um, Elton John video. I did know that. I the, just saw for that. The, movie. Uh, the first, the first official music video for the film release mm-hmm. was directed by my little brother Kai. So anytime it will work for him, he can always come up and play. Uh, that, I mean, as a fan, of course, you, you, you always want uh, whatever your vision of it is. But uh, and you got Cherry back. 
Oh, God, yeah. Uh, so that's did, the real. I mean, ultimately, and Kai will tell you this, too, musically, that's it, it, the, the band started out just me, Kilo, and Cherry. Okay. Is Flip. My generation and all that stuff is just that, you know, the is, first album by all intent and purpose. Kai did play on stuff. Yeah. On some of it and singing on some of it, you know, but um, and Kai will tell you the same thing that there's a musical thing, especially. Well, all three of us, but at that point, uh, Cherry, Greg, and I, we've been playing together since 1979. Mm. We know each other like the back of our hands. He looks different now than I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But equally as good. Sure, you know. uh, He was doing the androgyny back then, but he's a fantastic looking guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very arousing to be around him. So yes, it was. Uh, um, Everybody was currently. Out. No, I'm not. Who was the chick? Who's the chick? Uh, uh, you know what? There was a story I heard you tell about submitting the song "Freak to Kiss," uh, and I do. I honestly, when I first heard that song, um, I, that was the first thing I thought of was the flip song "Freak." Uh, tell me a little bit. First of all, a little bit. How does one even go about submitting a song to Kiss? And I mean, I, I guess I already know, but why don't you share with the listeners your thoughts on, on that? You, you got it. You got it. Well, first of all, you know how you submit a song to a record company? No. You look on the back of a record. Oh. And there's an address. It's that simple. That's all you What need. does unsolicited mean then as far that as... That there's not a lawyer attached to it or or Irving Azoff or a manager that <laughs> okay. they already work with. You, you solicit your material through somebody that they already have a relationship with. Okay. So, um, now, that being said, we have worked in the same circles a lot. More yeah. than just Bill of Coin, there's many more. Okay. Right? And uh, you you think that maybe it was an inspiration for a rewrite? I, I do. Yeah. I do, uh, without malice. Certainly, it's a hard thing to say because there's no way to say it without sounding like there's malice. Because right. the truth is, is, I've certainly stole more from him. Hopefully, he stole it from me. Yeah. I would please me. I've stole a lot more from him than he could ever or would ever want to steal from me. So, <laughs> well, that, that doesn't sound well, too I, bitter. I mean, uh, no, I, I, dude, I, you know how much bitterness I have in my body? Zilch. <laughs> None. Towards anything. All right. I was a kid in junior high school that the song freaks about. They yeah. used to beat me up a lot. But even that, I'm not, you know. So, yeah, no, I got no bitterness. I mean, it's not a standard. Uh... Wouldn't you say the similarities? If you, if, you, if you know what a musicologist does, they measure. And I'm surprised there's not an algorithm, that musicologist algorithm that hasn't been invented yet. It's probably coming. I think it is because everything is algorithmable in the law of copyright music. You know, you get X amount of beats, pars, words, this, that, and the other thing. And once you use this many in a row, then you have a problem. And then if there's a tie-in, like, for instance, do run, 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 or what was it with Keith Richards and... Anyway, I'll digress and not remember names. What do you it, want me to say? It, it sounds. I, I got nothing. I, mean, I don't know. Topically, how to... it's not something that that Paul Stanley. Although you know, if if you know ab- about his history, you can see how he could almost you know relate to the topic of the song. 
you know, from his childhood yeah, and how, but it's not something he was always more of a look at me, fuck you, kind of, you know, I, I'll always rise to the top, you know, kind of thing. Where Freak really isn't that kind of song. Um, but it's, doesn't it's, he appear to have grown up a lot lately? <laughs> or not? Sometimes it gets a little Tony Robbins. For what's that guy, the, 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 the preacher? Yeah. Hey, man, you can. Uh, well, live to win is what Paul says, but. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, little bit. Yeah, he's always kind of had that kind of like, uh, I don't know, where he could write lyrics that sound, look, could be a poster on a therapist's office, yeah. you know, but that that song in particular, because it, it, it's almost opening a soul a little bit. So, and also it it has the same kind of tenor and approach. Now, it's not a direct ripoff. I mean, the music is different. The, the melody, it's very much kind of... I don't know. I'm it's not E G A and C. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But... Me too. song in 1975 or whatever was an attempted rewrite of Mississippi Queen. Yeah. I mean, every yeah, one of them. That's definitely a riff that like... And, see, I heard that for the first time probably late 80s and, and until all of a sudden, like, I probably heard more of what was stolen oh, from yeah. that. Every Nazareth song, every Boston <laughs> song, everybody was mm. trying to do Mississippi Queen. Everybody. Yeah. Oh, because it's so great. Um, Shit, it was going to bring me to something else, but I forgot what. So you were both doing it. Yeah. Brain fart. Tell me a little bit of how the Flipper Union actually came together then. So that's how it came together. It came together partially by uh, me seeing it online, how much people wanted it, getting a hold of First Avenue, um, seeing if they'd be interested, and they were gung-ho, and you know, I was a little bit shocked at the interest uh pleasantly mind you and uh so we did the show and it went great uh wasn't there a show up in st cloud like the next day or something correct like that? okay so the, yeah uh yeah it was it was a really big deal man um and now mike leonard played rhythm guitar at one of those shows or was yes. that later on he played at the first avenue and the st cloud show uh, he's an interesting kai cat. just came in just literally for one get together and then played the show okay and so i wanted that those second parts 
ready I to wanted go. I wanted to be make sure they were handled so I would comfortable. So I knew I wouldn't have to carry the whole thing because it was new old to me. I hadn't yeah. done it for a while, so I was just playing a safety a little bit. And Paul Hanna, is he still doing uh, with you guys, or is it no now is taking him away too much? Or yeah, and. You know, Kai originally, the concept, which was really cool, because Kai will be the first one to tell you he can play guitar a little Mm. bit, you know, just like I can carpenter a little bit, (laughs) you know, Um, I can, and I can paint a bit, but I'm not going to call myself painter, you know, Um, that being said... Kai was a great multi-instrumentalist. He played the breakfast cereal at first. He played <laughs> the television set. He had a remote control with its four of them set off channel, so they'd be white noise. He played the xylophone. He played keyboards, tom-toms. His main musical input, I would say, is backing vocals. Him and Greg sound great together. But that being said, we now have a musical scholar, musical savant, Donovan Item. So it's very similar to the flip thing. Greg, Cherry Forever's son, okay. who just graduated high school and is a musical savant, is now the multi-instrumentalist playing keyboards, guitar, tom-toms, breakfast cereal, and singing back up. It's important to play the breakfast cereal, right? You know, I've seen a lot of guys just fuck up the oh, breakfast it's, cereal. It's, it's not an easy thing. Only the best can do it. Only hey, the best can do it. When did you figure out that you could do that uh, back in black thing you do? Or is it... <laughs> uh, for people listening, he, uh, Bryn, Bryn, basically at the end of your show, you you, you walk behind the kit with your, uh, your guitar. And if I'm getting it right, you just hammer on those chords? Or, or do much. you have a little... I always think, is there like a little stick with a pick, you know? Like. No, I'm playing with <laughs> left hand only. Yeah. You know, the, uh, you learn how to do that from p- learning how to play the electric guitar when it's being pretty much invented. Yeah. Because back <laughs> as a kid, you couldn't buy guitars, a $100 Fender guitar. You bought a silver tone or got it at a, from a neighbor or an uncle, and the strings were a half inch off the neck. Yeah. You learned how to physically String, physically play the guitar, not just the notes, yeah. not just that you wrestled the instrument, like almost like you do a lawnmower or yeah. something, you know? <laughs> you don't just mow the lawn, you gotta, yeah. you know? There's stuff involved, and the same with the guitar. So how do you learn how to play back in black on guitar and drums at the same time? Well, first of all, you learn how to play one-handed by learning how to play guitar, in the the 60s you learn how to play back in black and guitar on drums at the same time when you bring a case of beer to rehearsal and nobody else shows up ah that's a good story (laughs) (laughs) you still do it sure yeah yeah Um, it's a whim it's a whimsical thing just like it always was it's not a routine yeah you know but sometimes i do sometimes i don't uh, who built like all your lighting rigs back in the day? Was that the John Jabonovich? Okay, guy I had worked with since Greg and I with Obsession, 1979. He did all of our stuff. Still does my stuff. You Not just my stuff. That sounds so dumb. But John and I are such close friends that he still comes out and does flip shows. And you did an Obsession reunion uh, at uh, yeah. the Caboose a while back. Correct. No, I, I did not make it to that. I apologize. Oh, no need to apologize for that. 
Well, let's get to the record. We finally get some. Let's food. get to the business at hand, folks. Um, I'm holding it in my hand, so He's thank you for this. He's holding it in his hand right now. Can't you see it? <laughs> the best of the worst of flip. There, there is your Minnesota uh, tongue-in-cheek snark. The yeah. best of the worst yeah. of flip. I mean, even the replacements. What was their called? Like we all, were going to call it for the nothing, White nothing Album and color it all black, um, <laughs> or call it the Black and White Album, and then color it all yellow or something. So it's on EMP Records which uh, is notable to me anyway because I really think uh, what um, uh, Dave Ellison and uh, Tom Hazard are doing there that they're really I don't you would know more on, on a financial end, but to me they're, they're putting together a really interesting roster of artists that, that I, I would not have anticipated you know because they bought the combat records label logo yeah too. TKO baby yeah and, Brad Sitzel TKO um, shout out, you know, shout it, out. I was shocked when Ron Keel ended up on his record and then to Correct. find out you guys land on this so have you known Tom for a long time or Dave I have at all? not I have Dave's not. a Minnesota boy Dave Ellison I met in 1996 maybe nine in a studio we were both at we ran into each other so um i know that he was certainly uh aware of flip okay uh maggie death was one of those bands that i was asked to join that i talked that i mentioned earlier when to the same week i was asked to join the eels if you've ever heard of the yeah. eels and e mm-hmm. um 2000 when they were managed by john d and kevin gasser 2000 the- and Five. God, I'm trying to think. I can't remember the timeline. If Dave was, Dave was Dave out at this point, I think no. He... Dave's in the band. It's during the first. What was the first festival that Dave Mustaine did? Oh, oh, I'm uh, talking Dave Mustaine. Yeah, but not Elvison. Elvison might have been out at that point. He uh, was in. Okay, he, he was, was in Gigantic Tour. Is that what it Gigantic, was called? Yeah, Gigantic Something Tour. Something like that. Because he recalled that night when I told him, I said, "By the way, I'm the guy that was gonna." I don't even know who I was asked. But I don't play that kind of guitar anyway. So right. I'm like, That's it, it would have been really weird, dude. It wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I don't know why they asked me. It's, you know. The eels, I can see. But, uh, yeah. yeah um, so, anybody, who else has offered you a job? Uh, Guns and Roses. For when, like, this would be after Slash and uh, all that stuff kind of fizzled out? or uh, Izzy Stradlin era. Okay. And my response was, uh, I was, first of all, what you got to know is these things come to you uh, when you have stuff going on. Yeah. That's why you're on their radar. So not unlike when I first moved to New York City when I was asked to join Dave Matthews' band. Oh. Take that one in. Okay. Okay, take that one in. Because they wanted to add a show element to the Dave Matthews' band. So I would have been the rhythm guitar player monkey on a string guy yeah right not the worst you know i don't mean that as a bad thing um that seems like a bad idea for dave matthews as far as the music he does that kind of stuff but you know i don't know what to tell you um that's <laughs> not my area for the bad idea and i didn't take the gig because i was doing something else but back to the guns and roses thing my response was well i tell you what if we can call me he isn't straddling <laughs> Because uh, people have been wondering, is he straddling? No, and I can finally answer the question. He isn't straddling. That's uh, bad. No, that's that's bad. bad. <laughs> but, uh, Aerosmith, 
uh, at one time, Brad Whitford was thinking about quitting, and I was brought into the office uh, to see if I would consider that position. Oh, was that largely because of your connection with Jack or? Uh, David Krebs. Okay. Yep. And Jack. They were part and parcel. David Krebs managed Jack also at that time. So my band in New York had worked with Jack Douglas. Okay. Now, oddly enough, also through a different producer, Rob Stevens, I did studio guitar work for Sean Lennon. Hmm. John Lennon's son. Yep. yep. Uh, but it was not Jack Douglas who was producing that stuff, huh. interestingly enough. Double interestingly enough in that is the concert, the John Lennon concert in Canada. When I went into the studio to remix the audio for my generation with Rob Stevens so I could put it, re-put new audio on the video... Yoko and Sean came into the studio as that was the producer who had hired me to play guitar for Sean. They saw the tape machine that we were using on My Generation, and she turned to Rob and said, Rob, that's the kind of tape that the Toronto concert audio is on. It's because we were doing My Generation in there that day on Kilo's tape machine that now you get to listen to John Lennon in Toronto. Wow. You, I you, think it's the Toronto concert. God. You reminded me of one thing I did want to get into. The My Generation story is kind of fascinating as far as the, you got the video on MTV with no record deal. Is that right? Correct. I don't even understand how it's possible. Yeah. You just mail them a videotape and they N- throw it on? No. You... You, you had to have some connections, You go right? to Minneapolis, and your your lighting guy, John Jovanovich, you said we had great light shows, yep. gets a hold of you and asks you do, if you have anything he can film because he wants to film his new lights. Now, he's helped me so many times and done things at such, as, you know, next to nothing and just killer light shows. We jam together artistically. He jams on his uh, artistically with his lights, and I jam with my band artistically. So I said, absolutely. Came down, and we did My Generation. Black, white face, all that stuff, 15 minutes before we shot it. We did that whole thing in three hours. I brought it back to New York with me. I was then hanging out a lot with a guy named Steve Conti, who another band I was asked to join, the reunion of the New York Dolls, who became Johnny Thunder's not became Johnny Thunder. Played his part. Steve yeah. Conti. Him and I were doing a lot of jamming together at that time. Okay. Night Bob, who is a New York City god, rock and roll music god. Him and I were hanging out a lot. Um, Peter Robinson from RCA Records. Uh, just a lot of music business industry people. And I played him this video and they were just like, Brent, you got something here. Really? And to get the audio on the video... We did 12 takes. I've thought about releasing the video of the 12 takes. Yeah. If you watch the beginning of the video, Cherry Forever, Greg Item, the bass player for Flip, the real deal. If you watch the video, he pulls out of the video at the very beginning because he had to hit record. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, he, he's kind of like walking away you know, from the, the, the... It was video cassette in camera sitting on top of a tiny TV with a duct-taped peephole thing with it on macro zoom with a peephole from a door taken yeah. out of the door 
duct taped to the camera while it sat on a tiny television so we could monitor how close we were getting. Okay. And that's how we filmed his light show. Brought it back to New York. All my music business friends were like, Brian, you got something here. One of those friends was a guy named Bill Baker. You might know from Kiss Circles, Ace Fraley, Bill Baker. Okay. Um, put out the book, put out an Ace Fraley book. Uh, well, it's not the one with all the dirt, is it? Because that's uh... no, that was a girl. That's something else. Oh, there's that no. One too. It's yeah. a fan. It's like a scrapbook. It's really cool. Okay. It's all good. Bill Baker's all good. Bill had a friend at MTV. He said, "Bryn, why don't you take this in?" And my buddy said he'll color correct it for you. That's all I was gonna. Get. That's all my okay. only MTV connection. So I went down there with my VHS tape, yeah. and he color corrected it and put that little bit of feedback on the end. There's video feedback. Yeah. At the very end. Anyway, I left there and I'm like, God. And he was like, "This is the best homemade video I've ever seen." <laughs> he said your performance is just stellar, you know, and I just that just was just wow, this is great. Really pleased to hear that people thought it was good. Um, I smoked a joint. I had green hair. <laughs> he was in the Viacom building on Forty Eighth and Broadway. He was in the lower suites though, in the basement of the building, which is an odd thing in New York. But he was in the basement. And I came up through the lower walkway and. Came to the corner and I saw a big black board with the white letters on it. Vicky Ogill, program director, VH1. Okay. And I saw a tourist group going into the Viacom building. And between seeing that and leaving his thing, I had, I must, I probably didn't finish a whole joint, but I smoked a joint, had it in my pocket. I decided to hide in this tourist group with my green spiky hair. <laughs> and it said, Vicky Ogil, program director, 21st floor. On the blackboard with the white letters, yeah. you know what I'm talking about? It's, that part was so weird, but it's so vivid in my memory. And I, and I got in there, got in the elevator, snuck in with the tourist group, just like a bad movie, you know? Mm -hmm. Went up the elevator, got on the 21st floor, I had the videotape in my hand, walked to a lady at the desk. I said, hi, my name is Bernard's. I have a, I'm supposed to give this videotape to Vicki Ogill. Okay, hold on. She calls Vicki Ogill. She comes walking down the thing, and I'm standing with the videotape, and she's looking at me. And she, this Vicki Ogill, and she's shaking her head left to right like, no. <laughs> no, this ain't going on today. And I, at that point, I went, hi. I said, my name is Bryn Arns. I just smoked a joint, snuck in with the tourist group so I could give you this video. <laughs> yeah, and it worked. And she went, she giggled, and she thought that was really funny, and she went, hold on, with a, with a hold on in her voice. And she went and watched it and came back and said, it's the best homemade video I've ever seen. I'm going to air it tonight on 120 Minutes. Man. We signed this release form. <laughs> And then and the next morning the phone went cuckoo. Okay, so then you got that's where the deals started coming in with Hollywood. Yeah, or whatever? Well, yeah, those ones. Yep. Up to that point, I already had I had already had like three or four different other record deals as well. Up to that point. Okay.
your hairdo. That kind of stuff just doesn't happen anymore, you know. And it just that—that's the kind of rock and roll spirit that I think really is fascinating. And, and it's kind of too bad that you know we're kind of at this juncture where I think it does. It, I think it's still there. Those stories are still few and far between. Um, even back in the day, um, you know, there's only one Kiss. There's only one Aerosmith. There's, I guess you know. Um, there's a lot more bad decisions going on once people get there you know and a lot of odd company things not unlike our situation that you just don't hear about record mm-hmm. companies folding i mean the reason for instance do you, one of the reasons kiss put out kiss alive one as a double album was to get out of their contract right you know the story behind yeah. that whole thing and how that works and why that album even came out zero artistic mm-hmm. reasoning in that album Zero was hundred percent business. There was no artistic discussions. Yeah, it's yeah, other than cover art, I suppose. But and uh, that was only Paul because he thinks it's because it is. It's fun. But yeah. nobody else in the band could give a crap. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know what? Um, we won't, I, we could talk Kiss all night. Yeah, uh, we could. Uh, our show. You, guys, uh, you do have to go out and get. Flip the best of the worst of on EMP and Rocksteady Records. It'll be out on uh, July fifth. Well, I think that's pre-orders. But the big, the thing I'm excited about is on July 29th. June 29th. On June 29th. No, this album will come out in June. So people, when they come to the show, the 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 release party, they all have access to the this and on vinyl, which is twelve inch picture disc, okay, with different songs with other unreleased and new material on it as well that is not existent on there. So yeah, the June twenty ninth at the Turf Club in St. Paul, Saturday night with uh, the Carnegies, yep. opening, and the Carnegies are the coolest thing to come across this town. Since their uncle's band, The Replacements. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, which uncle? Their last name is Mars. Okay. So Chris, Chris Mars, Mars is yeah. the two brothers' uncle. Yeah. Uh, As is Danny's, the the cool little cute guitar player kid. <laughs> Talk about the new tracks on here. <laughs> okay, I digress. For guys like me, you know, it's like, well, I'm, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm oh, dude, a flip record. But, the uh, Ride. And if you want to play The Ride, you can. Okay. The Ride is a new Flip song. I feel great about it. Really good about it. It's it's a nice feeling to know you still can 
you still got it in your blood. And then there's some unreleased things on there. On the vinyl version, there's a song for from the uh, that was supposed to end up on the Crow soundtrack. Uh, once again, uh, record label president gets fired. Um, <laughs> called "I Keep Myself Alive" that we did at A and M Studios, Studio A, where they did "We Are the World" and all that. Really killer track. Oh, great story there. Stones had just left there doing Voodoo Lounge. They had just started a law where you couldn't smoke in the studio anymore or in the control room except for keith richards they had built him a little room with black backdrop cloth and it was called the voodoo lounge we went in there the next day and they let me use the voodoo lounge for the very last time wow uh but uh, to the show june 29th i know a lot of our, no, our, our a lot of our listeners uh are, you know, are in the twin cities so um if you're there go i mean it's 15 bucks come on how the question that we put forward to the listeners right now and, and they can call in yeah <laughs> of course they can but they can call in right now but of course they really can't yeah. and let us know how we could drive a helicopter into the turf club to drop cereal on all your asses oh nice how do we do that how do i get that helicopter in that door well, you, you touched on drone technology Without earlier. hurting the doorways and damaging any of the door <laughs> just jams. Just have so much cereal that it just kind of pours into University Avenue. And, and the entire happen. turf club is just under a pile of... Uh, there was a club once that got so upset with Flip because of the feathers yeah. that the next day I sent them a bucket of chicken and said, here's the rest <laughs> of them. <laughs> Oh, and uh, well, is there any chance we'll get like a uh, more new music from Flip down the road? You kind of just more music, more music, more music. Yeah, Absolutely, we have a brand new song we're writing right now called "I'm So Happy." <laughs> I thought you were gonna say I'm sitting in Baco's basement. No, <laughs> it's called "I'm So Happy okay. When You're Not Around." I'm so happy when you're not around. I'm so happy. Yeah, I'm so happy. I'm so happy when you're not around. I'm so happy. Yes, I'm so happy. We're doing that on a three-string, completely out of tune Yeah, guitar. Yeah, I couldn't tell it was out of tune. <laughs> well, and once again, pink. if you start playing guitar in the 60s, guitars are all out of tune no, you have no. to play them into tune so you learn how to bend things and your your hands actually begin to develop ears of their own that learn <laughs> how to do it's like aquaman growing gills it's like your fingers literally begin to grow ears where they start to pulse uh, strings in tune and stuff almost for, it appears to me mine do it on their own yeah, kids these days will never understand. The connection between my brain and my fingers has been there for so long and has done that for so long, it's Pavlogian, that it's doing it before I even realize it's happening intellectually. Did I mention I smoked the pot before? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> this is Bryn Arns from Flip. I'm here with Baco, and we're talking about the new Flip record on EMP Records, the best <laughs> of the worst of Flip. Baco thought it was really important, specifically that I point out that the song The Ride is the new single on the record, is a brand new recording by Flip, yeah. and that uh, uh, your opinion, Baco, when you first heard it, was you were 
thought it was probably a good thing that record stores weren't open any longer <laughs> so people couldn't hurt themselves running to buy it. Oh, God. You were very concerned that people would hurt themselves running to buy it, and I appreciate that. Mm. I want to thank you for coming down to the... Hey, to, thanks for having you know, me. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a pleasure finally meeting you. Uh, uh, no joke. You know, I, I think I controlled my fanboy a little bit. Uh, I, think I, <laughs> I, think, I think I was... You were totally cool. Professional. I am and, not uncomfortable in okay. the least. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And uh, I have felt uncomfortable before. Okay, so you know so. what it feels like. All a right. little bit. Yeah, no, I, uh, Flip was a huge inspiration on, on my band, Jesus Chrysler, as far as like thinking about what you can do and not like in the sense of like, well, nobody else is doing anything, you know, that kind of stuff, you know, and it, it, it was difficult because I don't know if you remember around the time that you guys were really hitting everything. There wasn't a lot of rock bands. It was a lot of alternative rock and then just right. extreme metal. You know, and so we had a hard time finding shows to fit on, but uh, you know, and we were heavier than than you guys. We were, you know, a little more metal, but it's still just the visual and just you know trying to do stuff, you know, and yes, and and uh, and also I just love the music. You know what I mean? Well, I remember the, a lot of the flip press coming out. Well, and I interrupt you again, but you know that it wasn't a shoegazing band, which is kind of what mm-hmm. you're referring to, which yeah. was very kind of move around thing at the time. It's like, how dare you, you know entertain right well you, you said you, you saw the, the feathers from uh alice cooper we yeah. took breathing fire from kiss yes and just like the feathers well we didn't have a good way to clean this shit up you know it, it turns out kerosene you know is what they use and it's just oily and it's and yes. so we, we had a few times where bands were and then certain bars where they slipped and fell. yeah they got, and well, they, they probably had a reason to be upset, but fuck them. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a few places, and then that when that great white fire happened, everything got killed. Yes, but, oh. uh, we couldn't even do flash pots at that point. But uh, anyway, but back. That's to the when point. I started tried doing uh, create. Um cereal yeah no one's pots. gonna no one's ever died at a show where cereal was thrown into the crowd no i um, i want to substitute the pyro for cereal so the flash pot suits cereal not <laughs> fire there you go uh bren thank you very much thank this has you. been a pleasure the record uh, is everywhere uh july 5th but you can get it uh at the the pre-show at on uh, june 29th at the turf club in st paul absolutely the historic turf club, the historic uh, one of my favorite club. bars in the Twin Cities, so including the vinyl picture disc. Once yes, again. Uh, and outside of the that's a first for me. Vinyl picture disc. The, the not 40... vinyl isn't a first, but picture disc is a first for me. So was was cool. the flip forty five uh, that you released on Records today the first vinyl flip? You know, fair question. Yes, so yes. This, this is actually the first yes. like full length twelve inch yes deal. So yeah, just let it be and rock was the first uh, flip on vinyl. Cool. Well, uh, and of course, just fucking Google Flip. You'll be able to find out. It's it's F L I P P. Keep pulling loose on the wheel. With the other, I'll say goodbye. You won't mistake the way that I feel.
together I'll say goodbye You won't mistake the way that I feel I pronounce the name correctly? Well, uh, which Cobras and Fire or Jason Bakken? Jason Bakken. Yeah, you got that right. You can call me Baco. That's what I go by in the show. But hey, did I do the other part right? Yeah. Cobras and Fire? Yeah. Did I pronounce my own name correctly? I have no idea. Bryn Arns. Bryn Arns. Bryn Arns. Say it three times. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 